I'm Mike Walsh, and you're listening to Between Worlds, the show that takes you over the horizon and beyond borders to bring you the global thinkers, innovators, and troublemakers whose ideas challenge the world as we know it. I'm hanging in Vegas today with Ken Rakowski, who is, well, he's many things, but I first met you many years ago, I think in Australia, when you were with Spike. I remember. Oh my gosh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> we were there in the early days of the digital revolution. And, uh, but of course, I came to know him even more because Ken's at the very epicenter of uh, what's going on in the West Coast in Los Angeles with uh, Silicon, Silicon Beach. That's what I like to call it. I like to call it the creative coast. I like that much better. It's just a better name. We don't come up with any silicon in Los Angeles other than silicone. Yes. Uh, and I think the Creative Coast really identifies the culture that's out there. It's about creating content around the idea of what's going on with technology moving forward. And many years ago, I spoke at an event and the community that Ken created called Metal, uh, which was it was one of those times when I spoke to an audience. And I felt that everyone in that room was infinitely smarter than me. So it was probably really? one of the most challenging audiences I ever spoke. Most to. speakers say that, by the way. Yeah, they feel more intimidated than going in front of the group metal than going in front of Ted at times. It, it was really a, uh, a kind of a baptism of fire, speaking for that group. So uh, that, that was that was really fascinating. And of course, Ken also created one of the, the top-rating business radio shows called Business Rockstars. Mm-hmm. But what I just discovered, which I thought was fascinating, given that we are listening to a podcast, is that Ken was the one of the original, was the I original was. podcast. I was. The fa- I'm the father of the podcast. So right. in 1995... I created the idea. Now remember, RSS and these type of tools didn't exist back then. So I found a way to upload and use a very simple email tool to download it to people's computers. So it was the first iteration of what the podcast is today. This was Tech Talk, right? It was Tech Talk. Yeah, Tech Talk. <laughs> it was. And I and I you probably know it because Telstra, which was the big carrier, Telco down in Australia, I did a unique deal with Telstra and also with Optus, which I think was the other carrier at the time. And I found a way to go to all these ISPs, and I want to get too techy here. Is that okay? Oh, uh, you can. Yeah, you can be yeah, as techy you can go, as you like. Okay, geeky is what I want. And I, back then, in the early days of the internet, there were data caps. And if you were in a certain country, let's say from Hong Kong to South Africa, and you went over your data cap, it cost additional money. So I found the ISPs that had this conditional access environment, and I gave them my show every day. And they loved taking it, and they would promote it on their front page. So when I would come down to Australia in the late 90s, I was a rock star. Everybody knew me because of the podcast. And I had great access in all those countries. Now, later on, those caps were eliminated or they were somehow absorbed. And I couldn't do those deals, but I was the first to really do that. It, it is really interesting how podcasts became very popular in the late 90s and early 2000s, and they sort of went away. They did. And now they're back with a vengeance. It's it. You, a matter of fact, having a podcast in some cases is bigger than having a radio show. Well, I mean, you had both. So, I mean, how? what do you think is really driving this new demand for what seems to be, in a way, kind of low-resolution content? I mean, when you compare... It is. Yeah. It is. It's 96K. It's 24K, right? I think what's happened is the on-demand world has basically asked, and they've now received it, and that is, when do I want it? They hate schedules. They want things at their own time. I don't know if you listen to podcasts. I do. I don't even know what network they're from or what time it's on. I just know it's there, right? Mm. Do you have certain podcasts that you love? Uh, to be honest, even though I create podcasts, I don't listen to them. All right. Nice because I don't great. commute. Well, no, no, wait a second. There's some great podcasts, which I want to actually identify as radio shows 
that are recasted from the radio show, which is really interesting because what they've done is they remove the advertisers, you know, or whatever the advert is, it's gone and it's pure content, which means is there isn't a real element of revenue yet for these, which means there's an opportunity, right? Right. But for you, especially the high level thinker you are, and I'm not here to, I have no equity in any of these companies, but something like a, uh, um, I would say The Business, which you should be listening to from KCRW. Um, you should be listening to, I got, let me just show you my list. It goes on and on. <laughs> but I, I listen to everything that's even balanced. But podcasts to you, are they audio or video? Or are they both to you? Well, for me, they're audio. But I mean, how, how would you say the DNA of a podcast is different to a DNA of a radio show? Well, a radio show, again, since I do come from a radio background, we have certain time slots. We have segment times. We have to do certain things by a clock. Yeah. Where a podcast... It's whenever you want, right? And that freedom allows you to almost create what uh, an NPR or a PBS used to allow. And that is just go on because there wasn't a specific deadline or a break. I always find it fascinating with media, the things that we don't need to keep that we inherit. Uh, yes. Well, you know, so there are clocks. certain formats like, which we, we sometimes we keep. Another was that we are able to break apart. So television is a great example because, you know, in Netflix, we don't need to have the idea of an episode because... You know, we're not constrained by commercials. You mean bingings, where you have every but, episode. But the thing is, we, we have episodes now, but we also release them all at once. So it's sort of weird, like how we're finding these new. Which one do you like better? Well, I love the idea of releasing things all at once because I can't stand waiting week to week. So imagine right now HBO. HBO is sitting there with some of the biggest shows ever, Game of Thrones, right? And they're still doing that episodic release of something week by week by week. Yeah. And what they have found is more people are going, I'm going to wait till there's six episodes and then start watching. And then I'm going to wait till another six episodes. So they're theoretically binging it themselves. They're finding more people binging these shows than watching them during yeah. those lifetimes. So I think we're almost demanding it now because of what Netflix has created. And that is we want it anytime, anywhere. But it's even being written as long form cinema. It uh, is chopped up. Yeah. So, you know, it, the thing is, is that it, it's, it's just strange the media industry is still not moving as quickly as its own consumers. Well, I don't think they've been disrupted enough. Yeah. You know, I may I talk about radio? Yeah, please. I mean, I mean, what you had. Uh, so I, I, I've had multiple radio stations. Yeah. Right? I, um, one of my first shows, what I learned was besides streaming the show live. If I go to small radio stations in affluent towns throughout the United States, I can buy that airtime for only a few hundred dollars an hour. So I own the entire one to two hours and I could put any advertiser on there at 10x of what it costs me to buy the time. Because so I created the environment. You can create a national network, essentially. You can go, and I'm, I'm gonna give an example, okay? Like there's a, a great community down in Southern Florida called Naples, Florida. It's a very affluent town. You can buy maybe two hours of radio time on a Sunday afternoon for maybe $300. That means that two hours is all yours. You can do anything you want. So if I say I'm going to have Mike Walsh on, I'm going to have maybe a Mark Benioff from Salesforce on, I can now go to an advertiser saying, I'm going to have these people on. If you want to be part of that show, it's going to cost you $5,000. That's one advertiser. And I theoretically could get 10 to 15 on. So what costs me a few hundred dollars, I can sell for several multiples very quickly and, and so you're really leveraging the traditional broadcast networks with a more digital business model well i'm showing where there's value in a listener that's out there that 
knows that radio is there, but they haven't really turned it on in a while. Hmm. And going to a new media individual or somebody that's in the new uh, industry, like a Mark Benioff, and going, hey, Mark, have you thought about radio? Oh, you haven't? Let me show you how I'm going to get to an audience that you generally don't talk to. It's a bridging of both worlds. And they get really excited about that. And I hate to give you know give the secret out, but you can do this with fashion, you can do this with health, and no one's doing it properly. Hmm. So right now what's happening is there's really like three giant radio players in the entire United States. There's only three big companies, that's it. And they own all these radio stations. So if you want to get on their station right now, you have to pay retail. So if I wanted to go in Los Angeles, which is the second biggest, well, it's actually the first biggest market in radio in the United States. And if I want to go to a, let's say a sub 20% station, meaning it's the lower 20%, for a one hour slot will cost me $10,000. That's ridiculous. Where if I go to Bakersfield or to um, Riverside, which is only a little outside Los Angeles, I could buy the same time that will actually go into Los Angeles for maybe three or $400. Yeah. So I'm just saying you can game the system. So if I'm in, in Melbourne or in Sydney, I could just go outside the city limits and buy a small station airtime and actually get inside those cities and ask advertisers or brands to pay a, a retail price to be part of a show that costs a fraction. Does that make sense? We, we, we were talking earlier uh, about streaming as well in the context of video. We were talking about Apple and Netflix. What, what's, your, what's your take on that? So, uh, you and I are Apple people, right? We love Apple. You love Apple, I love Apple. Uh, I, I run off and get everything right away. But I don't think Apple can maintain that. I think the innovation side is Google. I think Google has massive armies that are doing whatever they can to outmaneuver and outthink Apple. I think that if Apple would have bought Tesla and gotten you know, Elon as the CEO, maybe they had a chance but I think that time's gone, okay? So Apple has to start looking at themselves as being a content company, as something that's gonna drive the attention to who they are <laughs> beyond a hardware brand. But you don't mean they should buy Time Warner, right? I think they should have actually looked into it. I really? think for $85 billion, it would. And, and by the way, I don't think the AT&T deal will go through the way it's initially set up to be. I don't think so. But I think Apple right now has to look at a content play. It has to. I like Netflix more than Time Warner, and the only reason why is because Netflix isn't the same type of old network what Time Warner is. It, it was interesting when, when Apple announced their new television product, everyone was there except for Netflix. And understand something, everyone didn't agree with them either. Because if you remember when Steve Jobs launched the iPhone, he says, look at these content players we have. And the first was Disney. And you remember why? Do you know why? Well, it was because of Pixar. He was on the board, right? He was the largest shareholder of yeah. Disney. He was able to maneuver and get that content at yeah. a fraction of the cost. Well, Steve's not there anymore. So Steve doesn't have that leverage power that Apple used to have. So Apple has to buy themselves into the game. And right now, Google has more Android devices out there than Apple devices. Google owns this game. They really do, but they haven't leveraged it the same way, and they will. Yeah. So Apple's gotta get much more aggressive. I'm excited to see this new Apple that's gonna be shaped up. I'm not sure if you are, no? Well, I mean, the thing is, content's one of those seductive things that drags people into it, and it often ends badly. I mean, look at Sony, you know, when they tried to basically be a Hollywood player. Tell me about the last great Sony movie you saw. But, I can't even think of one. Right. That's what I'm saying, it's very expensive and very difficult to do. It is, especially if you go after the big screen. And it didn't help them with their electronics business but at Don't all. go after the big screen. That's the mistake. Don't go after a theater. Go after the digital line. We're staying in this really nice hotel. 
Did you turn on the TV at all? To watch the news, no? So you turn on the TV, first thing that pops up is NBC, second CBS, the third <laughs> one is Netflix, and then ABC. Netflix in this hotel is an actual channel. Hmm. That blew my mind. So now it's at this point to where we expect to see Netflix part of the content play. But you know, the, the irony is with Netflix, and I know people love using it as a great example, is that you know my wife and I always have a big Netflix argument, which is it takes me forever to find something to watch. Okay. And in fact, the only good things on Netflix are the things that Netflix have made themselves. Because all the other content is content that generally are B-grade movies and, and, and the series you've already seen. Without a doubt. And that's where Netflix is going. They, they're spending almost $10 billion on content annually. You know, uh, Ted Sarantos, who runs this division, he is literally the new media mogul of yeah. Hollywood. So if you have a good Hollywood movie, you go to Netflix and then you go to the regular studios. Netflix is your first choice. But here's the difference. So if I'm HBO and I have Game of Thrones, do you know where they make most of their money for Game of Thrones? Syndication? In the international. Yeah. That's where the money is, right? So there's this international fee that has to be paid to get Game of Thrones outside the United States. But that's why I think Netflix is overvalued. Why? Because they are... They valued, own the content. Well, they're valued as a tech company, mm-hmm. not a content company. So they're using their multiple valuations as a tech company to fund all this content. How would you say they're a tech but, company? Well, what you, why? I think they're a content I, company. Right. The Not, thing is, content companies aren't valued the way Netflix are valued. I agree with that. So they're a distribution company then too. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're in this golden age at the moment where they're allowed to be valued as one thing, but they're, allowed, they're actually most of their activities are doing something else. Mm-hmm. But eventually, I think they'll be valued as a content company. Do you think they could be a three hundred billion dollar company if they were left themselves? No. You don't think so. If if they were valued, if they were actually perceived as a content company making money on distribution, they wouldn't be valued at that rate. I don't think because I think in the end, other people will start producing content as well. I, but when you turn on your TV, what's embedded in your TV? So um, Fox News Corp, um, CCTV—they're not well, embedded a- in your TV. Android, the operating system. Yeah, and we go back to software, and you talk yeah, about how. Yeah, yeah. So the future, the future TVs will actually be just Android TVs. Well, but they will have channels embedded in, into them. Netflix is an embedded channel. Yeah. Hulu will be an embedded channel. Amazon is aggressively trying to become that embedded channel too. These are different game players. Game, this is a game changer in my eyes to where a network being a, you know, I'm not sure. I tried to buy Fairfax a long time ago. I'm not sure if you know that. So, no. let's try. so uh, we talked well, to the Packers. Personally? Me and a couple of people try to go in. As you do. Uh, you know, we went and talked to the Packers. Maybe people don't know what that is. You want to explain what they are? Fairfax is like, well, it's like kind of the Wall Street Journal of, of Australia. Australia. But they had a lot of content plays. And, and a lot of junk bonds. Well, how are they doing right now? <laughs> They're upside down. They're gone, basically, yeah. right? But they could not get their head out of their, their butt in the aspect of you have to change and innovate. Where I think Netflix is moving as fast as light to innovate as fast as possible. Where the old traditional legacy companies can't. They don't know how. They have to get rid of the top. One of the other areas where you've been investing and doing stuff is around some new technologies uh, like the Hyperloop. And I just got back from Dubai last night where... Well, we can't announce that, okay, but I'll tell you ah, a little more about that. But well, I'm happy you... But the thing is, I, I saw it already in the news in, 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 okay. in, in UAE. Okay. So they're already talking about them building a Hyperloop. In, in, so you'll in see, you see some big announcements before, uh, very soon. Elon Musk is somehow accredited to this, but let's just really talk about the initial idea of a hype of uh, this vacuum pneumatic technology. It was the banking system. 
Did you ever go to a bank and you had yeah, a Yeah, little... I, I saw pictures in New York, the original email with these pneumatic tubes, right? That's right. It was a pneumatic tube. And there are still, I mean, there are still these tubes in New York and some of the buildings. They're still around in banks in the rural areas of, areas of America. You will go out and see them. So it's a suction technology initially, right? Yeah. So when Elon talked about it, he said, hey, I, I'm not going to do this, but here's a great way for transportation. Well, our team inside Metal decided, let's just go after this. Let's see what we can do. And uh, what we've done is we looked at not just the vacuum technology, but the magnetic technology that's out there. And we've created, I'll show you a video a little later on, we've created a platform that almost eliminates gravity. Right. So you have no gravity, which creates no friction. And with no friction, when I push something, it could go up to Mach 3. Right. It's like, it's like throwing something in space. That's what it is. It keeps on going, but not Mach 1, the speed of sound, three times. So when you start traveling between, let's say, Sydney and Melbourne, it's minutes to go between those areas. But imagine anywhere in the world. Now, what we're trying to do with HTT, which is Hyperloop Transportation Technology, is we want to make the transportation free. We don't want it to cost people. Right. Because as it moves, it actually produces electricity. Oh. And we provide back to the grid. So we become a cash flow positive form of transportation. So does it create more electricity than it requires? Oh, absolutely. We, we actually create electricity as it moves. We use solar technology. Right. So most of it's solar. Well, so I can, see, I can see why the Middle East is an obvious place. Well, to... Indonesia, Middle East, uh, Singapore, I think between Bratislava and uh, Vienna. I mean, very, very obvious places too. And there's, it, it doesn't mean uh, you have to have always sun around you. But I want you to think about transportation that becomes free for a population. It changes the dynamic. You know, uh, Russia wants this really bad. Imagine yeah. between their cities. Now, we're talking primarily us is around people, moving people, not cargo. Right. The other players that are out there are talking about doing freight and cargo. You can see this is so important, the idea of the future of the city, because so many super cities are, are almost uninhabitable in terms of rising costs. And, and I mean, London is like this. I mean, they, they, more and more people live in the countryside than commute in. Well, I'd rather take Jakarta which you and I well, roll our eyes when we talk about Probably the Jakarta. world's worst traffic I've ever experienced. I agree. It's <laughs> horrible, but it yeah. really is. And it's even horrible when you start going south to areas like Bogor. Uh, People or work you... in their cars because most of your working day can be spent in traffic. So my wife is from uh, Indonesia, and she always used to tell me the good old days when it would take 45 minutes to get into Jakarta. And that same route is three hours, right? Wow. But that is where that technology is needed because the population doesn't know how to get out of its own way. And the only way transportation will change is automation. You know, cars, smart cars that are literally smart. That's the only thing, no, seriously, because no, people right. are the problem. I was just laughing because I, I was in the UK the other day and there was this thing about the, there was a train strike, train drivers. <laughs> and it actually blew me away because I had actually forgotten there were drivers. Like I just assumed that oh, something right. like the tube would be an obvious thing. You know, it's a person. Be, you know, that there shouldn't even be a person there. So let me, may I turn yeah, this yeah. conversation on to you for a second? So do you see Uber as something that benefits a society? Or do you think it's a temporary opportunity that will hinder the society and then something will grow from that? Well, maybe you can look for the perspective of drivers. Okay. I don't think Uber is something that benefits drivers in the long run because there won't be any. Okay. In some ways, I think the current model of Uber now is like Netflix sending out DVDs and envelopes. It's a transitionary business model while they'll wait for certain things to align and then it becomes something totally different. 
So that huge population that they employ will be gone. Gone. They have to find something else. Yeah, look at Pittsburgh. <laughs> Pittsburgh. And then eventually, well, I, I, it's not really, is it totally running in Pittsburgh right now? Well, no. They, they, well, they've they got, started there. They've got, they've got humans sitting in there watching the computer. Right. They're holding, they're not even <laughs> touching the wheel. But I'm asking is, because of that, it destroyed the taxi industry, right? Very, very yeah. legacy. It's going to destroy the transportation, human transportation industry. Does it add value then when it's just automated? Does it? Well, the thing is, I think you have to see Uber in the context of self-driving cars, new cities without car parks. So if you say, is there going to be a world in which we don't drive, we don't have to park, commute, traffic is, is now managed as a kind of a logistics algorithm, right. will that lead to a better quality of life? Almost certainly. So you're in favor of it. Well, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in favor of the total ecosystem. You have to have it all, right? <laughs> By the way, that's one thing what we're trying to do with the Hyperloop, just so you know. It's not about going to the Hyperloop to get to where you want to go. It's about ordering your pickup, your delivery to the Hyperloop, oh, right. and then to where you have so to go. So it's going to be an end-to-end. -end. It's a point-to-point. -point, it's done. That's the whole goal, right? Now, we won't see this happen in the United States initially because there's too many laws what can you, and What can you talk about in the Middle East implementation? I, I would say that you look at cities like you just mentioned. Dubai is... To Abu Dhabi. I would I would say remember they're very competitive those two cities as you know right <laughs> one's like New York one's like Vegas yeah. I would say places even like Qatar yeah. because they have big events that are going on they have a lot of cash and they have governments that can demand something to get done where if you go to areas where it takes a population to vote someone in to sign it to get regulation innovation needs to move a little faster that than that at times hmm. and unfortunately uh, Countries like the United States and, and, and most European countries aren't fast enough for that. Right? Makes but sense? But China's another great opportunity, isn't it? I think China's a great opportunity. That's yeah. another one they can do. They've got the it. vision. I mean, they, they, they put out these five-year plans. They're one of the few people who actually sent to do the things they say they're going to do. Well, look, they have a high-speed rail system that goes through nomadic areas of the world that you would never think about, right? Yeah. But China would be another one I would say pay attention to. And this is going to happen fast. Once you start hearing it, and I'm telling you, if you look on Facebook, we're generally one of the top 10 news feeds on a regular basis. We will be the biggest story, I would say, next to like the X Prize and things like that starting next year because it will finally be legitimate. What, what is it about these ideas that, that are increasingly coming out of the West Coast of the United States? I mean, you've, you've seen with the metal group... You know, and I've met a lot of these individuals too. What what is it about the good weather in Los Angeles that? Do you really? Are you saying ideas? this as a joke, or are you? No, I'm I agree with you. By the way, no, I'm serious because I. Can I tell you? I'll tell you. I want to know the secret because I. It, it's a very easy secret. Because Silicon Valley has terrible weather, so I'm going to tell you the secret. I'm being serious. So I'm from Chicago. I'm not sure if you've ever been there. Uh, we have three really great months. Then it gets horrible. So what happens is every day you get up and you ask a very simple question: What is it like outside? And then you have to plan to get dressed to actually be comfortable in whatever that element is, right? In LA, it's almost always the same. So that weather part of your brain, you move oh. to the side and you put creativity. I know so, it sounds so, funny. So you think it's sort of the, the cognitive surplus it's what from Einstein not having to worry did. about what to wear? Well, Einstein did the same thing. Mark Zuckerberg does it too, right? They have a certain uniform that they wear so they never worry about that. And I think that that good weather, and I'm gonna tell you, there is a huge migration of Silicon Valley coming down to Los Angeles. Big names are coming down. Because the first thing they say is, I love not to worry about the weather. I love not to worry about it. But you, you joke, but remember, remove that one element from your brain. I think it's gonna be more than that. I'm more creative. Uh, no, it's, it's people, it's who you hang out with. Those dynamic individuals that you generally read about are all there now. 
So what, what, what are some of the other ideas that, that this group of people that, that you, you think are thinking and worrying about and dreaming about at the moment? Well, you mention AI all the time. Yeah. Right? Artificial intelligence, I think that the way we think of it as a subset of what we're doing, I think it's going to become more, uh, I don't want to use the word Terminator, but I think this 2045 project this or is initiative. The, this is the life extension group, right? So let's just be very upfront. I think our brain is just a supercomputer that we just don't know how to connect to yet. You know, all of our memories, everything's stored in a certain way. If there's a way to connect to it and find a way to um, take what we have there and bring it to something that would feel like a positronic brain from Star Trek, um, your consciousness will move along with that. We don't have the, the petabytes and the, the technology to do this yet, but as we see exponential growth, it will be there in maybe 10 to 15 to 20 years. So I think that the population that could afford it initially will transport themselves to that AI environment and live theoretically forever in that. And I think that not my generation, maybe my kids' generation, will have that right or that option to die. Would you, would you do that? Would in you, a heartbeat. Would you live inside a PlayStation in a, 10? In a, I don't know about that. <laughs> in a heartbeat, because I wouldn't know the difference, meaning it's whatever my consciousness says it is. And now people roll their eyes, they think it's crazy, but again, the next generation will have that opportunity. Do you want to die or not? I, I just, I, I am terrified of the kind of hells that we could create in virtuality. I mean, you could literally trap your consciousness in a, in the ultimate sort of virtual detention center for all eternity. But don't you think to go to another planet or to go to another galaxy, you almost need to have this type of technology. You have to, you, you can't maintain the body you have. No. Right? And it's not cryogenics. It's got to be something to where our mind is putting in, what? Cry no, it's just cry cryogenics. It's a bit funny. I mean, you can't do that. No, you just hear these stories of these billionaires who, whose heads are stuck in deep freeze. There's tons of them. You know that, right? Yeah. But, but I always think this is funny because I always think if we ever actually had the technology to revive people, the last thing you want to do is bring back some asshole billionaire from like 50 years ago who stuck his head in the freeze. I didn't know Timothy Leary. Do you know who that is? Yeah. He, there is a video on YouTube, which I just saw the other day, where they're actually cutting his head off right at his death and he took so many drugs though i can't imagine I, his I, brain is i get it but they are <laughs> they they put his brain his head right it's a youtube it's an actual youtube video of yeah. all it being done but just watch it's gonna happen and it's exciting i got one more for you there's a company that uh i so my new show is called the voice of disruption yeah tell me about that it's all about what's disrupting us in our lives and our business and the first thing i dove after was the idea of our brains being disrupted so I met this company that's based out of the University of San Diego that's done about 3,500 trials on people on reprogramming their brains. And I just kind of laughed at it. But I saw the university connection thinking, you know what, there's some legitimacy here. And what they've done is they've figured out how to map the brain. So they put, you, put a little cap on you and they map your head. And then they find out, especially at my age, what parts of my brain don't uh, aren't... Um, connecting like they used to. So through sleep deprivation, if you did drugs, if you uh, uh, drank a lot, whatever, your brain goes through some damage points. And what they do through magnetics and small electrical shocks is they wake that part of the brain up. So they give you tests before, during, and after. Right. And they show you the difference in the measurement and change. So I met kids that were completely autistic that are normal now. Or people that have gone through strokes that couldn't move their bodies that huh. are capable of doing it. 
So I decided to do so it. So it's quite a like a, a more precision form of electroshock therapy. Hyper precision. It's kind of like this. You know, in the, the old days, we still use a lot of the same technology to drill for oil. We just know exactly where the oil is now, yeah. right? So it's using older technology to do something brand new when it comes to precision in the brain. So I did this. I went through this whole reprogramming. Is this how your hair ended up My right? hair turned up on, yeah. <laughs> no, but what happens is I saw a huge change. My, my IQ went up 15 points through the tests that were right there. So I could continue to do this, but this is where that brain disruption is happening. And um, so, again, from media, radio, Netflix, Hyperloop, life extension, brain reprogramming, that's just a sample of the things I'm involved with. <laughs> well, I, I do think we're at this kind of renaissance period at the moment where science, technology, biology, and entertainment are kind of converging in, in really unpredictable ways. And it, it seems like what's at the heart of all of this is everything is programmable. Like everything from DNA to yeah. physics is, is actually... Through CRISPR, you can reprogram right. DNA. It's right. all just code now. And so I think if you have the ability to think and see and manipulate things on one plane, it seems to translate to these other fields. We, so, have, we have code libraries in biology and also in, you know, in, in actual uh, in media platforms. So as you then look around at the planet today, is it going to change in front of you once that exponential growth happens in the next couple of years with quantum technology? Will it change in your lifetime or will it change the next generation? Which just totally looks totally different. I feel like it's gonna change within the week. Um, but the thing is, we, we don't see it. That, that's the thing. Like, it's, so much is happening that it's very hard for any one person, company or industry to actually get a full breadth of what's happening. It's almost impossible to keep track of now. I, I haven't been to Vegas in eight years. And I came back here, it's like, how do they squeeze another <laughs> hotel out? No, I thought all the land was used, right? But I think you're right. You have to almost step back to walk back in going, wow, my mind's being blown, right? It, it's very hard to see the connections between things now. But being evolutionary revolutionary is a very interesting dynamic right now. Because when Apple came out with the iPhone, that was revolutionary, right? Unless you were from Japan and they'd already had well, that stuff. Oh, right? they didn't have it at that, that level. Well, They had subsets of it. Microsoft did too. Yeah. So then we look at Google, who's trying to be revolutionary, but they're very evolutionary, right? They're almost copying. And so we have to have that next revolutionary player that's going to take exactly what you're saying, and that is figuring out that code and changing something around it. I don't know who it's going to be. No. But maybe it's I have not. I think it's going to be from China, you know. I, you know, we're speaking about quantum technologies. The, the Chinese actually launched a quantum encryption satellite just recently. And no one thought the technology. Well, no one even knew where they where they got this technology. So, so it seems like we're playing ADD today. <laughs> the biggest problem with China is, I think, on the bio side, biology side, since they don't really care about laws. What they're doing with CRISPR? Well, why are you laughing? Well, I don't Do think that's true. I think they they probably play by different rules. Though. Different rules, like you know the uh, the definition of copyright in China is right. Do you know what it is? Copy. Right? No, no, yeah. no, no, no. It's, it's more complex than that. But, but, I, but I, I, I always say there is, is kind of an arbitrage around there, there is. And I see what happens. Like, let's take CRISPR, which is a great example. Yeah, are you yeah. familiar with CRISPR? Yeah, of course. So they're doing things that are against what other countries would say they would never do. Yeah. So they're doing human embryos. Yeah. They've already talked about this. So they're, they're so modifying. Which, by the way, I'm not saying is right or wrong, but I'm saying that they will have a jump on yes, things a lot they've, faster. Because they've had practical experience, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's exciting. I don't. I think it's a good time to be alive. <laughs> it's I, a great time to be alive. And I, I love being here. Thanks a lot. And Mike. it's great, it. great talking with you. So thanks again uh, for being on the show, Ken. <laughs> <And> <laughs>
You've been listening to Between Worlds. For more episodes and information on how to subscribe to our podcast, please visit www.mike-walsh.com slash betweenworlds.